I had the pleasure of meeting a man by the name of Lance Valentine in 2018 when I joined the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. Lance is a charter captain and fisheries educator from Flint, Michigan. He was recently recognized as the 2019 National Professional Anglers Association Member of the Year and also launched his fishing education online portal in teachandfishing.com, a virtual campus for fisheries education, instruction, and online tutorials with seminars and resources that will make any angler, novice or experienced, better at what they do. Lance and I sat down at last year's Aglow Conference in Wisconsin to talk about his life as an angler and his legacy in the fishing world. When you're done listening, head over to fishstories.org and watch my TED Talk. Find out how you can record your legacy and the legacy of anglers you care about and why it's important to keep them around for future generations. Go get them, Lance. It's uh, September 18th, 2019, my mom's birthday. So I should remember that day. <laughs> and uh, here with Lance Valentine. You want to introduce yourself? Tell me where you're from, what you do. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Lance Valentine. I was uh, born and raised in Flint, Michigan, still live right around the Flint, uh, Michigan area, just kind of in the middle of Flint, about 60 miles north of Detroit, due north of Detroit, kind of halfway between Detroit River and Saginaw Bay. Uh, I'm a full-time, I consider myself a fishing educator. I'm a full-time charter captain. Uh, I do a lot of seminars. We do some writing. We have a series of educational DVDs. Uh, we do a lot of things. Our focus and, and what I do every day is I get up and my job is to make sure that I help somebody become a better angler. So uh, that's that's kind of my goal and mission every day is just to you know, pass on what I've learned from some great people and just make people better anglers. Who are your mentors into the fishing world when you grew up? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, obviously my dad and my grandpa got me started. Uh, I got to spend a lot of time with my grandpa. We had a cabin up on the Asable River in northern Michigan. And um, when he retired, we'd be up there all summer. And, and him and I and my mom and my brother and my grandma would be up there. And my dad would come up on the weekends. But I got to spend a lot of time with my grandpa. And uh, he was an, a really good fly fisherman. He taught me how to tie flies, how to make rods. Uh, and he taught... Grandpa taught me the passion for fishing, the process of fishing, not just putting fish in a cooler or fish in a creel. He taught me the passion for fishing and understanding weather and, and, and paying attention to the fly hatches and keeping good records and all the things that we teach, yeah, we teach people today. Uh, I learned all that from him at that time we had up there, up there at the cabin. Uh, you know, and as I got more into fishing, uh, as I got a little older in my teen years, you know, I, I, I grew up in what I call the in-fisherman era when Ann Fisherman was the thing, when it was the Linder Brothers, and it was Doug Stangy, and it was Dan Sura, and it was that group that really, really changed the way, number one, we think about fishing, number two, the way we think about fishing education. Um, I kind of grew up as, a, as an Ann Fisherman kid, and, and those guys, you know, to this day are still uh, heroes, not only how they taught fishing, but the way they act as people. Uh, you know, we got our, my, I got our first dog 10 years ago, and we named it Lindy after, after Al Linder. So, um, you know, my grandpa got me started and kind of got on this adventure, and, and I would tell you, Al Linder is the guy that I try to emulate and, 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 and be like in, in the way I deal with people and the way I teach fishing. Is that education that you received back from your grandpa and, and during the in-fisherman age, I, was, I grew up when that was huge as well, is that education different than what, <clears throat> what kids are getting or what anyone who's venturing into the fishing world is what they're getting today? Yes, and it's the reason that we do what we do now, um, because fishing can't be taught in 30-second snippets. Fishing can't be taught in what I call the outdoor lifestyle. Oh, we fished a rock pile, and we threw a blue and silver rapala, and everybody go by. Says, blue. 
Fishing is a very, very fundamentally fairly easy sport, but there are foundations you have to understand. You have to understand bait fish. You have to understand water quality. You have to understand water color, water clarity, how weather moves fish, how wind affects fish, how underwater currents make a difference, uh, how fish move at different times of the year. You know, in fishermen used to have the F plus L plus P equals S system, right? Understand the fish and what they need. That's going to get you the location they're going to be at. Then you pick the presentation, do those right, you know, you have success. We broke it down. When I started teaching, I needed a way to kind of teach. So we came with what I call the eight steps to catch some more fish. And, you know, in order, you know, be in the right location, the right depth of water, know how deep the fish are, so you know how deep to put your lures, and then get lure speed, size, shape, action, and color right. So I think too many people want to make fishing a shortcut. What color lure do I need? You, you see it now with all the custom colored crankbaits and all the custom colored crap, right? Um, I think that fishing education has gotten way off of what's important. It's not about what lure to use. We, we do a seminar called the lures last because it's the last thing you need to worry about. We've gotten too focused on, oh, here's a new chatterbait or here's a new this or here's a new color. Here, here's invisible fishing line. That's all a bunch of crap. Pay attention to where the fish need to be. Where's their food going to be? How are they going to react and what attitude should they be in based on the weather? You can catch fish doing the wrong thing as long as you're in the right place. So we try to focus on what in fishermen taught us is pay attention to what's important, lay a good foundation. And I hope that's what that's what we do, I think, better than other than other educators nowadays do. You're all about the fundamentals. That's like a good any good sports team or anything. They're always gonna focus on the fundamentals first and then uh and then the rest is gonna is gonna come along with that. And when I you know, I fly fly fish as well and we I always have a saying when I teach fly fishing is that there are flies that catch fish and there are flies that catch anglers, yeah. you know, and same with crankbaits, same with lines. It's, it's marketing. It's, it's, it's the industry the, you know, they're trying to sell more products. Of course, they're trying to catch anglers with those, those crankbaits. I agree with you a hundred percent that, um, I think people put, invest too much into that idea more often than not. Yeah. And, I, and I think they do it too early in the process. They worry too much about what instead of where, right? So I always say, especially when we do that eight-step seminar, uh, you're better off to be a really, really bad angler with a completely wrong presentation in the right place than you are to be a great angler with the right presentation in the wrong place, right? What is very rarely important. And guys put that too far ahead, ahead of it. So some of the custom colors and some of the, 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 the new concepts are great. And they do catch you more fish, right? And there are times that fluorocarbon line will catch more fish than mine. That absolutely is 100% true, but not until you're in the right place you understand what you need to do to get the fish to bite. So putting first things first, I, I, I had a professor in college tell me one time, the main thing is to always remember to keep the main thing the main thing. And sometimes in fishing we forget that the main thing is to be where the fish are, right? And... Uh, people do that then that then fill in the blanks right then start as you get better and you understand those processes then you can start understanding why a gold blade is better than a silver blade that's all important and it does make a difference lots of days but not until you get the basics right and you can start to see trends maybe you can start to understand when things happen and put together you know the why and then you can start to kind of maybe develop some consistent patterns that that you can come back to um, when the conditions are right if you're where the fish are, of course. Yeah. How did you progress into your into your education then? Did you always want to be in a fisheries educator as you were growing up, or was this just something that came about? <laughs> uh, actually, you, you know, I I remember telling my grandpa on one of our rides up north, I was about 12 years old, I said, you know, I'm going to make my living in the fishing industry. And at that time, I thought I was going to be a trout guide. I, I honestly did. I thought, I thought I'd be a northern Michigan trout fishing guide, right? 
that was my passion. That's what that's really it's all I knew. I didn't know there was any way to catch a fish other than that until I was about 13 years old, right? Um, when I when I when I switched from stream trout into lake fish, as I got a little older, my dream was always to be a tournament angler. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a tournament angler. Um, I fished the Michigan Walleye Tour. I fished professional walleye trail both as an amateur and a professional, and I was really bad at it. Uh, there are a lot of guys who have a lot of nice things because of the money I gave them <laughs> fishing <laughs> fishing tournaments. Um, I was really not a good, you know, I, I was an average at best tournament angler most tournaments, right? Um, but I got into the, the seminar part of it because back then in the late 90s, early 2000s, you still could make some money off of your sponsors, right? So part of that was promoting. And I, I have no problem talking and, and, and getting in front of people. So I was doing seminars, and I started to really, really enjoy that part of it, taking somebody who really didn't understand and kind of teaching them. That's when the eight steps kind of, I, I got to have a way to sort all this out and, and teach people. Um, and I just really liked that. And I would sit down every fall with my wife uh, and her, her deal was this. All, she didn't care what I did as long as the bills were paid. That was the only caveat. So she goes, I don't care. Go chase this dream. Um, so we'd sit down every fall and I would say, okay, here's what I got coming in from sponsors. Here's what the year is going to cost us. Here's what I think I can make. Here's what we're going to be with, with this tournament fishing stuff. So one year she looked at me and she's, you know, she's, I don't care that you do this. I've been tournament fishing as a pro about four or five, six years. She's, I don't care that you do this. She goes, but it's not really making us a lot of money. Right. She says, uh, what do you think about becoming a, a charter captain? I said, who the heck would pay me to go fishing? <laughs> right. Who? And she says, well, I think if you had some, you know, some of your guys that come to your seminars might want to go on the water with you. And, and so, so I went that winter, it was the winter of 2005 uh, January 2005, got my charter cam license, and that year I tried to both charter fish and tournament fish, and I found out I just absolutely loved charter fishing. I loved the ability of putting a rod in a guy's hand and showing them how to do something properly. And then them telling me three weeks later, hey, I went on my boat and did what you showed me, and we caught a bunch of fish. And that's when kind of the whole education bug really, really kicked in. Is, man, I can make a bigger difference to more people finding some kind of educational platform to build than I can being with one guy for nine hours three times, you know, three days on a tournament. So that's kind of when the whole thing kind of kicked in. And I, I realized I was a lot better educated than I, than I was a tournament fisherman. And if I was going to have a career in this industry that I absolutely love, uh, that, that seemed where my focus needed to be. So then you kept the, so then you kept the charter fishing going and eventually just started adding on that education component. So the walleye 101 yep. concept came into play. How did that how did that come about? That, that, that's a good story. So uh, we really got our reputation and our start doing seminars teaching sonar. We were one of the few guys who really understood how sonar worked. And we did some great seminars on sonar. And at that time, GPS was just kicking in. Uh, we did some boat rigging. So I was doing all these, these sonar seminars at Gander Mountain. And one night, a guy came to me at the break. He says, hey, do you know anything about Saginaw Bay walleye fishing? I said, yeah, I know a little bit. He said, well, when we're done, can you help me? Sure. So we do the sonar seminar, and we go over to, you know, the fish and tackle department. We're picking out a few lures and a few colors and, you know, some planer boards and this and other thing. And he gets all done. He goes, man, he goes, that was awesome. He goes, that was just like going to college and taking a walleye 101 class. And I went, ding, instant light bulb, right? So I asked my buddy who was manager of the Gander Mountain store, I said, hey, can I come back next week and do a trolling summer? He goes, ah, you can come back as much as you want. So that's how the whole thing started. And then we were doing, so what we did is we did is we do, Walleye 101 became a six-week class, six different subjects uh, at the same location, same Gander Mountain store, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So a different store each Monday night, or the same store each Monday night for six weeks. And Tuesday night was a different store for six weeks. That really caught on. 
One year, I had some older gentlemen, retired guys, who said, hey, we're going to have to miss week two, three, and four. We're going to be in Florida. Is there any way you can tape it? So I set up my brother's old crappy video camera, you know, Sony Super 8, right, and recorded it. Um, recorded it, took it to somebody. They turned it into a DVD. So these guys come back, and each one of the three guys, I give them three DVDs, week two, week three, week four. And they said, how much? I said, ah, give me five bucks, five bucks a piece, right? Give me 15 bucks for the set of three. Well, guy, he goes, what's that? He goes, well, I taped it. He goes, well, I, I want a copy because I don't remember everything you said. So that's how our instructional DVD ster- series started, right? That just kind of happened. Supply and demand. Supply and demand, right? And we do these four-day fishing weekends now. We're, we're closing our 60th one. Those started, a guy came to me and said, look, I've been coming to your seminars for three years. How do I know I'm getting it right? So I just put a fishing trip together to Lake Erie in the fall where the fishing was really, really good. Not a lot of people were fishing there at the time. I knew there were big fish there. I knew it was fairly easy to catch in there. I said, well, let's just go on the water and do a final exam. So I, I hand wrote invitations to 40 people who had been to my first three years of Walleye 101 seminars. So, hey, if you want to come, here's our final exam. It's going to cost you. Well, next thing you know, now we're putting 120, 130 anglers through. So everything I, everything I have right now is an absolute accident. So, so <laughs> it's a, a happy accident. It was a happy accident. None of it was planned, right? But I've never been afraid to take a chance and kind of see an opportunity and go, this, this is something really, really good. Uh, always with the focus on can this help more anglers, right? Can, is this something that we can turn into helping the masses? And um, so I, you know, I sit here today with all these little pieces of my puzzle and I'm like, this is the most awesome life I ever could imagine. And, and none, of, none of it was planned when I quit my job at the bank in 2001 to, to do this full time. None of this was planned. So, you know, here we sit by the grace of God with just a great opportunity to reach a ton of people. Um, you know, and fishing doesn't seem like a big deal when you think about it. But then you stop. People like you and I, you look back at what fishing has brought to your life. The relationships, uh, the closeness with family sometimes, uh, maybe a friend maybe the times fishing has gotten you through um the people you meet the places you get to go the things you get to see if i'm responsible just for a little bit of somebody's life being a little better because of something we taught them um if you don't understand what fishing hunting in the outdoors really is you'll never get this but if you do like you and i do it is a big deal it is a big deal someone can enjoy the outdoors a little bit more so uh, I take what I do extremely seriously. Uh, I love it, and I do it with joy and happiness, but there is a serious element to it, and, and we try to be really careful that we give great products to our customers. What's some of the feedback that you've heard over the years that make you, that, you know, you're very emotional, you're obviously very <laughs> proud, you're very proud of it, you can tell. So what have, what have you been hearing from people? Why, why are you so excited about doing it after all these years? Um, I'm going to tell, tell you two stories real quick. Uh, we do our four-day fishing weekends, and uh, when we do our four-day fishing weekends, I do name tags for everybody, so everybody knows, because you know, there's new people, right, just like, like here at this conference. Um, so I'm doing these name tags, and I see these two last names are the same, and I, I, I don't really put two and two together because I'm so rushed and trying to put this group together. So uh, one of the guys check in, and he's, he's you know, mid-50s, and, and I know him. He's been part of our group for a while, so I give him his name tag and say hi, you know. And it's so busy, I don't even think of saying, do you know this other guy, right? And it wasn't an uncommon last name, but it wasn't a really common last name either. Um, so about 45 minutes later, the other guy checks in with the last name. And I don't know because I'm off doing something else. So one of our other guys checked him in. So I'm, I'm, we're in the big meeting area where we have our check-in and our dinners. And 
all of a sudden the, the room goes almost completely quiet. And there's there's 80 people in there, and it goes completely quiet. What's going on? I look over in the corner, and these two guys are just in tears. There's a father and son who hadn't talked in over 20 years over a fight, and they end up at the same fishing trip. And now they come together every year. That's life-changing, right? We had a guy tell me one time when we first got started, the first four or five years we did it, uh, one of the things we did is – we put signs up on top of the urinals at Gander Mountain. That's how a lot of people found out about us, right? They go into Gander Mountain, a hunting season, take a leak, and there's our sign for our seminar starting in January. Uh, kind of funny that most people found us in the bathroom. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but I got to a set of brothers, and I got, to, I got to know them really, really well. And the one brother, I said, you know, we got to be really close. And I said, you know, what, what, you know, what was the, the attraction of Wally? He goes, I'm going to tell you a story. He says, um, the younger brother was actually in a car accident. It wasn't his fault. A car with four teenagers in snowy conditions crossed the line and he hit them uh, one of them in the back was paralyzed the driver uh was seriously injured um one of them was actually his niece's best friend one of the girls that the girl that was paralyzed so the older brother says he says i just want you to know he says i was going to therapy with my younger brother and the doctor said he says you've got to find something to get your mind off of this it's not your fault you got to find something just just for you. And the older brother says, the next day, he says, I walked in again in mountain, I took a leak. He says, I saw your sign. He says, I brought my brother here. You know, and they've been around ever since. And and the this is not about fishing. I can tell you story after story. What I do has nothing to do with fishing. God is using me and fishing as a vehicle to make a difference when people need a difference. That's very humbling, very, 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 very humbling to know that. So um, I take what we do extremely serious because I know there's a bigger purpose behind what we're doing. What's your What's your favorite fishing story? <laughs> maybe one of yours or one you tell more than others, or maybe it's one of someone else's that maybe you've been a part of or something. Uh, I love the stories where a first-time angler or especially a young kid gets hooked on fishing. Everybody has a first fish story, right? Those aren't always the best. It's the hooked on fishing. So we were, we were one, one comes to mind right away. We were out this year uh, with a group of four, uh, four young kids from, from four to nine. And that's the beauty. I run a pontoon in my big lake charters, and that's, that's nice I can bring kids. So it's grandma, grandpa, and kids from four to nine. And they'd never been fishing before. Grandma and grandpa go once or twice. They hardly ever fish. They got turned on to me by a friend. Go on the pontoon. It's fun. We'll take the kids. So we're trolling. So I let all the kids cycle through and each catch a walleye, right? And then they cycle through again. They each catch a walleye. And we get halfway through, and I hear the one in the front go, when's it going to be my turn? When's it going to be my turn? And Grandma says, well, you want to catch one? He goes, yeah. And Grandma, when can we come back again and do this, right? So those are the minutes that you know you've just created a fisherman, right? You've just created a uh, You've just created a fisherman. Those are those are great, and I get a lot of those on my boat with the younger kids. Um, very few of my favorite fishing memories have anything to do with fish. You know, they have to do with being on the boat with my dad or my granddad, or being in the river with my granddad. Um, uh, you know, my dad just lost his his lifelong best friend was killed in a boating accident in February uh, down in Florida, and he would come up every year, and we would spend three days, you know, fishing. They started coming up to the Detroit River where I have a boat. I do 
bunch of charters on the Detroit River in a marina. They started to come up, and Uncle Art would bring his boat, and my dad and him would fish. Now, Uncle Art can't see his hand in front of his face, and my dad doesn't know which way north is with a compass, right? So these two guys are going up and down the Detroit River, right? They're, they're running around. I'm like Every time they left, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just hope they get back. But they would wait there, and I would pull into my slip, and I have a covered slip and a little area there to sit, and I would pull in after every afternoon trip, and they would be sitting there waiting to go to lunch. That's a cool thing. You know, so um, as many fish as I've caught, you know, I've caught fish. I, I guided a customer to a 15 and a, and a 15.33 pound. I've caught 14.18 pound walleye. Uh, I've won tournaments. I've won big fish awards. I've traveled all over the country. Uh, most of my favorite memories and the ones that really get me excited about fishing have nothing to do with the fish we caught, but the people, the places, or the things that were happening when, when we were fishing. Do you still get to fish with your dad? I do. Uh, not as, you know, he's still around. He's 76 and still really, really healthy. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things now where uh, I've told him over the years, and he gets it now. He finally gets it. I said, hey, I got nothing to do. You call me when you're free, right? Because he's still, he's got two part-time jobs and he always got to go to the donut stop. And I says, when you want to go, you call me. And he was kind of, he was kind of standoffish about that for a while. He's like, well, you know, you're busy. I said, come on, dad, really? I'm busy. You know, cause my, you know, I, I have a picture in my computer of me. I'm, I, I was born in April. Trout season opens in uh, I was born in the middle of April. Trout season opens the last Saturday of April in Michigan. I have a picture of me at the cabin you know, that first, I'm two weeks old and I'm at my first trout opener, right? Didn't miss one again until I was 18, my senior prom, and I was there at two o'clock Sunday morning. So uh, I missed a Saturday, but I did. I sure wasn't going to miss the whole weekend, right? Uh, I have a picture of, of me, and, and it's, <laughs> I have a picture of me standing in the Asabo River. Now, most of the fish we caught there were eight, nine, 10, 11 inch trout. If you caught a 12 inch, it was a big deal, right? So I was always a big audience guy. I needed somebody to watch me. And I, I don't know if you can probably tell that, that I'm you know, kind of a narcissist, right? <laughs> uh, I always wanted somebody to, to watch me, right? It was always cool to, to have people watch. Um, and I always dreamed big. I, I get this from my mom and my grandma have always told me the story. Says, you always dreamed big. Everything was big with you. So I've got this picture. Um, it's in June. It's the, the, it's, it's the June after I turned five. I'm in Little Hip Waiters. I got a fly rod in my hand, and I'm, I'm halfway through a fly cast, right? I'm five years old, standing in the river, and my dad's next to me. And my dad's got this net that probably has a handle that's probably four foot long, and the hoop is probably, you know, three feet in diameter. The holes are bigger than any fish I'm ever going to catch, right? And I look at that picture. Number, number one, it's cool, because my dad had put me on his shoulders to get me through the water I couldn't stand and take me to a spot I could stand, right? And he would do that every night. When he got done fishing, you want to go? Yep. He'd carry me over there and drop me and we'd fish for an hour. I didn't learn until I was about 20 that for all those first couple of years, I never had a hook on my fly because he didn't want to get stuck, right? So <laughs> I'm like, well, no wonder, I didn't, no wonder I didn't catch anything. But, you know, he's standing there with this net, and I, and I keep this picture. I have it in my office. I have it in my car. I have it lots of places. Um, it's always been, you know, not – not just my dad, but my dad specifically, you know, I'm going to catch a seven or eight inch trout. He's got a net big enough to catch a 20 pound pike. Um, he always believed, he always believed that he would need that big net for my dreams. Right. And 
Um, that's the picture that just makes me love what I do and love fishing um, and want to make people love fishing. I want to help them catch fish, but I want them to love fishing, just love what this is all about. And um, that's a picture to me that kind of puts it all together and just says, um, you know, here's what you can accomplish with a little bit of a dream, right? Dream big. You know, make sure the holes in your net are big enough until so you catch a fish it doesn't fall through. And and that's kind of how this whole this whole journey is, has kind of gone. That's a great analogy. I've never heard that. I've never heard that before, but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and I, I wonder if your dad meant that, if he was doing that on purpose or if it was just a happenstance. <laughs> I, I think I just said, you better grab a net, right? He's like, okay, whatever, right? Uh, lean it, I got. Yeah, what, what, whatever. You know, and it's funny, he's standing there. Um, I'm five, so he was 30, less than 30, actually, you know, a young, a young dad, right? And uh, he's standing there, and, and this, is, this is 1970. Uh, he's standing there. He, he, he sells sporting goods. He owns a sporting goods store. Uh, so he's, sitting, he's in the river. His fishing cap was a red wool fitted cap. You know, back then everything was wool. Everything was fitted, right? So he's wearing this red wool cap. You can see a little bit in the picture. He had painted um, the pump house at the, at the cabin, and there was a big, giant white splotch of paint on the bill. And then a couple little small white splotches on, on the top of the hat. And I remember, I remember two things. I remember the day that I could steal his hat and it fit me. That was a big deal. He never got it back after that because that was my dad's fishing hat. And I'm wearing it, right? Um, I finally outgrew it. Um, but I remember the day I could put it on and it wasn't going to come over my eyes, and that was the last day he wore his hat. And when we did our first set, our, our Walleye 101 hats, when we got Walleye 101 going, our, our hats, uh, our original hat, and we still, we still sell them, uh, I spent the money to have them custom-made. They are red, and they have a big white semicircle in the left side of the bill with our logo in it and then the air vent holes are all white and that's an homage to that red hat that you know that's me meant fishing because when the, when the hat was hanging dad was at work it was really cool dad came up friday night and the hat came off the hook because that meant dad was up there fishing um so when we did our first our first hats to, to sell we did an homage to my dad and uh and that red hat with the quote unquote white white paint stains on it. So um, you know, my fishing memories are are stained with stuff like that. More than the fish I've caught. They're just stained with with just those just just those times that that if you spend time outside in the water in the field with people you care about, your your heart is just full of, of you, you've got those, right? Your heart is just full of those and sometimes you don't remember what fish you caught or what deer you shot. It doesn't matter. It's that that makes you love what you do. And that, that, that's the passion I want to bring. I want people to get those to get those times so when the fishing is tough, they still want to go again because they know no matter how good or bad the fishing is, those memories still happen. You're still kind of dreaming big, too, with your current venture. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell me about teaching fishing and how it's evolving uh, and how it's growing. Yeah. So teaching fishing was, was always my original dream back 20 years ago when I started turning fishing and doing seminars. Um, but I kind of rightly so got pigeonholed as a southeast Michigan Well, I guess That's what I do, right? Um, but there's so much more to teach. You, you made a great comment. You know, the fundamentals of fishing doesn't matter what you're doing, right? So we're like, man, it would be really nice to get bass guys involved. And sonar is an easy way for to do that. I, I can take my sonar seminar anywhere in the country to anybody that fishes, and I know everybody, everybody that sits there is going to learn something. 
Well, when you start talking about trolling crankbaits in Saginaw Bay or trolling car harnesses in Lake Erie or vertical jigging trade, whatever guys kind of go, eh, it doesn't apply to what I do. It does, the concepts, but they don't, they don't get that. So teaching fishing was always my deal, is to take what, we, take what we built at Walleye 101 and bring in the right people that could teach that system and that way and that method and that passion for bass fishing, for pike fishing, for fly fishing, for musky fishing, for smallmouth bass fishing, for crappies, for ice fishing, to build this umbrella that we could bring all these people to and have one place for really, really good really good foundation lane fishing information and then build on that foundation so we kick off october 1st we got some great plans uh you know two live events the first and last tuesday of the month will be live events that people can interact with us through facebook two studio shows each month that'll have a specific guest in talking about a very very specific time location presentation we're not going to talk about again the don't throw blue piles to a rock we're going to talk about smallmouth fishing in clear water streams in fall that's going to be the subject it's going to be a very very intense study on a very very specific subject and break it down the best we can um and then we'll do at least two podcasts a month um and then some special stuff we did we just did a two and a half hour uh special doing our our, our six month pre-run uh we just did a two hour and two and a half hour special on transducers What's the best transducer? How do they work? Why are there different ones? How best way to install them? Uh, we've got really good friends that are fishery biologists that 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 run uh, Western Basin of Ohio, the Western Basin of Michigan. We ha- we know all these guys. They're friends of ours. They fish. We're going to have them on and talk about the health of the fishery. Um, you know, we could do a we could do a whole presentation on boat rigging, the right rod holders, and how. So we're going to try to do two or three of these special events. Um, every year but our core is going to be the the two live events the two studio shows and the two podcasts uh every month that that's kind of where we're at and bringing people in that know more than we know you know i i'm no longer a teacher at that at that venue i am the host Uh, my job is to take what i have learned what works for teaching and get that person to tell me what i need to know in that format that's my job now so uh, i'm not going to stop teaching because we still do what we do but it's time to let other people tell other stories to our guys. They're tired of listening to me. It's time, it's time to get other people to give us different information and, and make our guys better, complete all-around anglers, learning more about some things that we don't even, we don't even discover. Because I don't know. I, I can't teach you how to crappie fish. I, I catch crappies occasionally, but I could never sit down to a crappie seminar. And that's not fair to the person listening. So we found a guy who can teach you about crappie fishing. I can't, I can't wait to get in the studio with these guys and learn. I mean, I'm going to become a better angler every time I sit down and talk to these guys. That's the exciting part for me is I'm going to be able to pass on to, to our listeners and our viewers, but um, old Captain Lance is going to be a little better too, so I'm, pre- I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> it's like a mas- master class of fishing, right? It's You're bringing in these professionals yep. who know. They're very specific in their skill sets, and they can translate that and educate yep. other people in yep. that way. That's cool. And that's uh, – and again – and here's the beauty of this, buddy. We've got guys. We've got guys calling us that are asking to be part of it. You know, um, so we, we we basically had to build this platform to bring everybody in that wants to come in. So we're feeling our way through it. We're we're, we're you know we we talked earlier about our studio, right? Um, we had a great studio. We did our, we did a run just with our in our little twenty thousand viewership group that we have on you know social media and guys that know us. We did a six month run and it went awesome. 
And we had a studio. The guy that does all of our video production, we built a, he built a studio in his garage that he uses. A, he does for a living. So we had this great studio. Well, we get this project all kicked off, and we got sponsors signed up, and we got people giving us money, and we got people lined up. He's all, oh, I got to move. <laughs> so now he's at a brand new house trying to rebuild a studio in his garage, and he's got to lift rafters and do all this, you know. So our first month, we were really hoping for a fantastic October, just a big party. Well, our October studio shows are going to be shot in a local public access TV studio with a few little makeshift backdrops and we're just going to make we're going to make a we're going to make a joke out of it. You know, anybody that's done any do it yourself or anybody that's done a home who has ever had a home improvement project even changing the plunger in your toilet who has ever done that and finished on time, right? Nobody. And then we just got behind the eight ball. So uh, we're going to laugh about it a little bit, and then we're going to let people know that, you know what, when our new house is open, we're going we're gonna to bring you in and, and let you know. The content's not going to change. The content's still going to be fantastic. Um, so my guy's a little upset about that because he's very, very meticulous, as he should be. He's, he's a fantastic person to have on that end of the camera, that side of the camera in the production part. He's, he's so meticulous and so planned and second by second. Um, I'm 100% the opposite. So he has to, he has had to have a, he's had a, he has a full-time job just getting me to, to kind of plan a little bit. So, uh, he, you know, he's a saint and does a great job with this. But, but yeah, we're excited. We kick off October 1st. Uh, most of our stuff drops on Tuesdays. Uh, we call it Teaching Fishing Tuesdays. So, you know, grab some tacos, have Taco Tuesday and Teaching Fishing Tuesday, and, and we'll have a good time. But really looking forward to what, to what, that, what that's going to be and what we're going to be able to do with that. What's the ultimate goal with teaching fishing? What's your grand vision for what it becomes? Or do you have, do you really have a grand vision? Maybe this is, maybe this was the grand vision ultimately, but maybe it'll grow from here. You're just not sure what it's going to evolve into. I, that, that, that is probably the best question I've been asking the last three years in an interview. Um, my grand vision is four things. Number one, I want teaching fishing to be the only place people go for fishing information. At some point, I want it to be, hey, I need to know about fishing hoochie-hoochies for wiggly whoppers. And someone goes, teaching fishing's got the answer. That's number one. That's my first goal. Will we get there? I don't know. But that's, you got to have something, you got something, you have to have something that you think is unattainable to start reaching for, right? Second thing is we have to do a better job of creating opportunities for youngsters to learn, not catch fish, learn about fishing. That's, that's our number, I'd tell you, that's our number, no, our number one action plan, you know, our second goal after being the only place people go. Third thing is we have to do a better job getting female anglers involved. We've done a, just an absolutely terrible job. We got some people here at Aglo, Barb Carey and, and Angie Scott do a great job with that. We actually, we have a meeting today. We're going to partner up with them and we're going to bring them on board with a very, very special, their own section of teaching fishing that is strictly focused on getting women into the sport that's huge because you got look at how many single mothers we have that are raising kids if we can give them at least some tools to be able to go down to the farm pond or go down to the park and at least teach the kids right how to do this at least we can get that ball rolling so so the females uh is is the second piece of that and then lastly um kind of tying that all together is we have to create more opportunities for urban kids. Where can a kid that lives in the city go fishing, right? How do we get them out? How do we create opportunities for them? How do we get them a rod? You know, how do, how do we reach them? So uh, 
uh, above and beyond being the clearinghouse, you know, we know we're going to take care of our guys. We know our, you know, our 25 to 65 demographic, we're going to take care of them. We're going to give great information. Our focus needs to be how do we create more opportunities for kids, for women, and how do we create more opportunities for inner city people, period. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, child. How do we create more opportunities for people who are never, ever going to experience the outdoors to at least get a chance to experience? So those are three things that are on our list uh, as we kind of build Teach and Fish and go forward. They were in our business plan. Um, we're kind of excited to get this thing rolling so we can kind of start making making a difference in spots that a lot of people are just ignoring. Knowing what you know now, would you have done anything different? No. Uh, yeah, yes. There's one thing I, there's one thing I would have done different. I would have trusted God more that he had a plan that I didn't know about. I'm a very, very controlling person. I like to steer my own ship. Uh, and a lot of times when we started going different directions, I kind of said, I don't really want to go that way <laughs> and fought it. Um, if I had to change anything, um, my willingness to see what was happening and accept the change and go that road faster, um, that's the only thing I change. Uh, everything else is just, it's, it's kind of falling into place. Um, you know, my dad told me when I, when I first started doing some seminars and got a little success, um, I was uh, mid-30s, you know, 32, 33, 34, when we really started taking off. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have started this 10 years ago. My dad says, you wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. I'm like, well, there was less fishing information. And he goes, stop. He goes, you're old enough that the guys that are 20 years older than you know that you have enough experience, but you're still young enough that you're not old to the 25-year-old kid. He says, this wouldn't have happened if you were 24. Would not have happened. He says, so just take what you got now and just build it. And the sad part for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm 54 now. I'm kind of getting there, right? Um, I brought on my buddy Dean, uh, you know, you met, you know, Dean's six, seven years younger than I am. But where's that next generation? Where's that next, you know, where's that 20-year-old kid right now who wants to be, and I, please don't take the way I say this, don't take it that way, but where's that 20-year-old kid that wants to be the next Lance Valentine? Where's that kid who wants to take his passion for fishing and make sure it gets shared with the masses? Where, you know, who is that? So that, that's one of the things that I'm worried about is, you know, I don't want this to pass with me. Um, I want teaching fishermen to be bigger than I am because it is. Uh, it's definitely bigger than I am. I want it to have a life of its own, right? I want to leave. You know, I don't have any children. My legacy that I leave is going to be whatever teaching fishing accomplishes. You know, when teaching fishing dies, I'm gone. I'm out of everybody's memory, right? So, so obviously, I, I have an attachment to to make it really, really good and and bring people on to continue um, continue what we do. So. I just get up every day and I just, I, I just get up and I just work at it. I just work at it and, and I work at it. And, and I'm very, very proud of what we've accomplished as a group because we work at it. You know, we've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of, oh my God, we've done stuff wrong. Oh, terribly wrong. I wish I had back all the money and time I wasted doing stuff wrong. Um, but that's part of the journey. And that, again, like we talk about fishing, it's not about the, it's, 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 it's the passion for the fishing. And, and this has been the passion of the journey and the people you've met and the play. There's people in my life now that never would have been in my life. if I would not have made mistakes. Those are blessings that those that just, those are happy accidents as they used to say on, on public TV. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't regret any of it. I don't know. Like I said, the only thing I would change is I would act faster because 
knowing that God was in control and it wasn't me, um, that there was a plan, um, and knowing that this is bigger than fishing. If I think about it, if I could have realized that faster, we could have kind of trucked on down the road a little quicker. But we're here today, and we're going to get up and do the best we can tomorrow, and we'll just see where she goes. <laughs> about all you can do right yeah that's and i that's the advice i give to anybody right find your find your passion and that's that's the beauty i was able to quit a crappy job i worked at a bank um you know and while i want to really didn't start to like you know 1999 is when it kind of started and my wife uh unfortunately has been diabetic since she was eight and she's been very she still, still is very healthy so in 2003 i was all set i'd fished the pwta PWT used to have two divisions, the East and the West, three tournaments each. And I had fish as a pro on the East Division for three years. 2003, I was all set to go to fish all six. And that's when you really became a pro, right? Fish all six. Polarcraft was going to give me a boat. Yamaha was going to take care of my motors. All my entry fees were paid. I had some other money coming in to cover all of my expenses. It cost me zero to go fishing. My dream. That's what I wanted back then. That was my dream. We're going to go on our first cruise. So the first tournament of the year is the third week of April in Lake Erie. And... I get done on Saturday. On Sunday, we fly out for our first real vacation. We're going to take a cruise. Okay. Third week of March, my wife wakes up. She goes, man, she goes, I'm having problems with my eyes. So she goes to her regular doctor. Doctor says, you need to go to an ophthalmologist right now. So next day, we're in the ophthalmologist. The ophthalmologist does. He goes, this was on a Wednesday. I never forget it was on a Wednesday. He goes, Friday, we're doing surgery on both your eyes. I'm like, what the hell? Well, diabetes cuts off blood vessels. And what happens in your eyes real quick is you, the blood vessels split. They go around the clog. And then they create scar tissue and it pulls your retina. It's called diabetic retinopathy. It pulls your retina apart. It gets to the point where it's going to rip the retina. So what they do is they basically take your eyeball out, scrape the scar tissue off, put your eyeball back in. Well, without that pulling to get to, until your retina goes back to shape, they fill your eye with a saline solution to fill the space in. So my wife had three surgeries on her right eye and two on her left eye in the course of a couple months. She had to be face down in a mobile for six months. So this is three weeks before my first tournament and four weeks before our first vacation. I got to call the guys at PWT and say, I can't fish. I got to call all my sponsors and go, I'm sending your money back. I can't fish. You know, I, I, I can't do this. So here's my dream, right, crushed. But my real dream is falling in love with someone that completes my life. That dream is much more important than my crushed fishing dream. Even though it didn't, wasn't crushing, my job is to take care of my wife. And believe it or not, I actually had other anglers found out what happened, called me up and asked me, how could you do that? How could you not fish? I'm like, how could you ask me that question? You would have been amazed by the people that reached out. I mean, there wasn't a day went by for those six months that Carol didn't get three or four cards or flowers, or a phone call. Somebody stopping by the house and saying hi, just how's it, you know, checking in on me. Hey, you all right? Can I take you to dinner? Yeah. And these are guys that I just, I did six seminars for, you know, and just the love and support and the passion that just kind of came from that. And I, and, I, and I think that's what happens at a place like this. We all have this passion for this thing called the outdoors. And when you find somebody who loves it as much as you do, there's an instant connection. There's an instant, I want to be around that person. I want to talk to that person. I want to help that person. There's that instant connection. Um, and that was the first time I really realized the power of what we had done is when people started giving back. without People I didn't even, honestly, didn't even really know. 
Some people I didn't even know their name. Um, and they gave back. So that was that was life changing. And and thank God, you know, Carol got better, got well. The next year I went fishing. I got to fish all everybody. Everybody stuck with me, right? And said, Hey, when you're ready, let us know. You know, we took our cruise that year, uh, between Christmas and New Year. Uh, I gave her a new wedding band uh, on New Year's Eve. That hey, that last year's over. New Year starts right now. This is the rest of our life. You know that that shitty year is over. We're done with that. That here, brand new start. Um, and that's when everything just kind of started to fall into place. You know, uh, I think a lot of that. I I believe a lot of that was God saying, "Get your priorities straight." I know how important fishing is, but you have bigger things that you need to do, and that is take care of your family. Um, and then it just kind of all just, you know, fell into place from there. So, you know, we've had hardships. We, we're no different than anybody else. It looks good now, and it is good now. It hasn't always been good, right? So I think a lot, I think a lot of the, this business is, is three things. When, when I talk about the fishing, sorry, sorry. When I talk about the fishing business, there's three things I talk about. Number one, it's going to take time. This is a time thing, right? Number two, this is a relationship business. In my world of, of, of professional angling where it's sponsorship deal, if you're a, I'm a Suzuki guy, I make a point to be nice and say hi at every show to the Yamaha guy and the Evernood guy because here's what's going to happen. It's the same 60 guys. They just change shirts every two years. So the guy that I go around and I badmouth Yamaha, pretty soon he's my boss at Suzuki. He goes, that guy's got a shitty attitude. He's gone. So I've, I stay above the board. I talk about what my products do. I never, ever badmouth anybody's stuff ever, ever. So it's a, it, this business is a long-term commitment. It is a relationship business. And I think most important, it's a you have to be their business. And a kid who started working for me a couple of years ago, I told him, he goes, because he wanted to do this. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you have to be there. He says, where? I said, that's what you got to figure out. If you want to do this, you have to be at every sports show. I don't care if 50 people come to the door in four days. If you want to be a big deal in that area, you need to be there. You need to be at AGLO. You need to be at ICAST. You need to be at distributor shows. You need to be at IBEX. You need to be at all this stuff because it's amazing. I went to ICAST the first time four years ago. Nobody knew who I was. No, I knew the people I knew. Second year I walked in, I couldn't get out of there. I had a stack of cards that weighed 500 pounds, Right? This year's our third year. Everybody's hugging me and, hey, great job at teaching fishing. I got guys I've never met that know what we're doing because you're there. You know, and sometimes, this is what this is what a lot of guys don't get. Sometimes being there means missing a birthday or missing an anniversary. I missed my anniversary. I got married in 91, started fishing in 96. I missed my anniversary 11 years in a row, 12 out of 13 because I made the state championship. It was not home my anniversary. My birthday is April 12th. I'm on the river. My wife's birthday is end of October. I'm in Lake Erie guiding. I'm not home for any of that stuff. Here's the deal. Now I'm at a point where I can make my own schedule. When you first start out, you can't. You need to be. And I, you know, and the other thing I've I've done sometimes to my detriment a few times, but I've I don't say no. You're a yes man. You asked me to come and speak. And I, I I I had this is the honest God truth, but from from the first week of January, so I leave. I think the first is on. Monday, I leave Wednesday the 3rd for my first, for the MPAA conference. I am booked every single weekend doing seminars or shows until the last week of March. I get done on Sunday. 
Tuesday, I go to Detroit River for six weeks, move away from my home for six weeks, for my six weeks. So I'm persona non grata, basically, from the 1st of January until Memorial Day. I had one weekend off. It was the fourth weekend of January. I'd show, 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 off, and then we just rolled again. I just booked. I was just at, at the Polar Craft Dealer meeting in Indiana. The guy that runs the South Bend, Indiana show came over to the meeting and says, I want to have you be the, be the feature speaker at our show. Can you come Friday, Saturday, Sunday? I'm looking at my calendar going, there's only four white days I have in these seven months. I said, yeah. And, and my buddy looked at me. He says, what? I goes, look at I said, at some point they're going to stop asking. So for the people who are listening that want to be in this business, it's going to take time. It's a relationship business. Be nice to everybody. Meet everybody you can meet, right? And be there. Just be there. That best advice I can give you if you want to be in this business. I was able to get up and follow my passion. You know, and, and what, real quick, one thing guys don't know about me. So I get a lot of, boy, you're lucky, right? And I'm sure you do. you got a great thing going on. I'm sure people come to you go, ah. Oh. The first two years I fished professional walleye trail, I didn't have, and again, remember, my wife said, I don't care what you do as long as you, right, make enough money. So I had to work at a marina. I didn't have to. I worked at a marina. I enjoyed that. When I wasn't fishing, I worked there. The gentleman that owned the marina was very, very kind, still a good friend of mine. I saw him the other day. Um, he said, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire you. I'm going to pay you every Friday. You tell me when you need to be gone. You can take any time off you do. You need to follow this passion of yours. But when you're home, you need to work Saturdays and Sundays and cover for the people who cover for you. Fair deal. That's more than a fair deal, right? So the first two years, I had that deal, so I had money coming in. I, I knew uh, you know, we could budget, which everybody needs to do that, right? Um, and I had some sponsor money coming, but I was still short. I was still having to get in. I would have had to dig into some savings. to, And that was we were never going to touch the house. We were never going to get into savings to, to have a fishing career. I would walk six blocks from my home. I would get to the 7-Eleven store at 1030. And I would leave that 7-Eleven store at 5.30 in the morning, walk home, sleep until 7.30, get up and go to my job at the marina for $10 an hour under the table. That's how bad, that's how bad I wanted to do this. People don't see that. They don't see that my wife, when we started Walleye 101 and really got going, they don't see that my wife carried the 100% financial burden of our life for two years. So I could get, I could spend every penny and every second making this thing grow she believed in what we were trying what i was trying to accomplish you know she knew that i wouldn't quit um people don't see that people don't see you know the small house that we live in because it's more important to build this business than it is to have a big home um they don't see the old car that my wife drives because you know we're at, and i'm at a point now where i can you know it, it just happened last year i was able to tell my wife every penny you make that you don't want to spend can go into savings. I got this. I got this. Well, four, 15 years it took for me to say I got this. There's a lot of sacrifices by a lot of people to make this happen. Um, so I don't like people telling me I'm lucky, right? Because I'm not. I'm not lucky. I'm lucky. I, I'm lucky. I had the support I had, but we gave up a lot of things. We gave up vacations. You know, we gave up a nice house. We gave up nice cars. We gave. We gave all that up to build this dream. And when I talk about teaching fishing or walleye one-on-one, I never say I. You know, it's always we. And um, I am the front person for it, but it's my wife. It's my family. It's 
my friends. It's guys like Dean who have, you know, put time in and effort in for no, they pay to come on a trip, one of our four day fishing weekends, and they put in extra time. They come off the water early to help make sure. How do you repay that? Right. Um, that's, that's what we think. And when people believe in, in what you're doing and you, that you can get it done, you have to put every piece of your body and soul and passion into it because it's only fair to those people. So, um, Honestly, I, 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 I really don't know how to describe the joy that my life is. I, I really, I, I really don't. You know, I get frustrated like everybody does. There's days where you just go, right? But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to be any more joyful, any more blessed, any more uh, thankful for what I have. And, and I, I just, if I, if I never went fishing, if tomorrow came and I could never, ever go fishing again, I would not trade the last 20 years for anything. It's been, uh, I would hope that at some point in somebody's life, somebody gets to experience one minute of some of the stuff that I've had a chance to experience for 20 years. Just, just been amazing. It's, uh, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world. Is there anything you didn't mention that we didn't talk about yet? We covered a lot. It's no, we covered 40, a lot. <laughs> 45 minutes, if you can believe it. Is that what it is? Yeah, well, yeah, well, you made me cry. And, uh, <laughs> it wasn't that hard, by the way. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's, 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 you know, I'm a very, very passionate person. I, 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 I love what I do. I love the people that are in my life. I think one of the reasons we're here, we all, we all have a gift and we all have a passion. So many people never find it. They get, they, get, they get sold this crappy American dream, you know, go to college, get in debt, get this crappy job you hate, work for 30 years, and then be a grumpy old man. It's now, man. You know, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm 54, and I wish I could move like I did when I was 44. Uh, I wish I would have done some things at, you know, 34 that I didn't do, that I waited till I was 54. Um, so, you know, my saying has kind of become the last 10 years especially, you know, I can always make more money. I can't make more time. If there's something you want to do, damn it, go do it. Take that charter for bluefish. Take that four-week vacation to Europe. You know what? Put it on your credit card. Figure it out. If you got to walk to 7-Eleven for six hours a night and get paid cash to pay it off, walk to 7-Eleven and get it done. I've seen so many people, and I come from a General Motors part of the world, right? I've seen so many people work that extra two or three years, and they buy the cabinet north, and it's paid for, and the boat's paid for, and they retire, and two weeks you get a email from your buddy that, hey, dad just passed away. We all have stories. Get your butt out there and get done what you want to do. Find your path. That's what I tell my nieces and nephews. Find what you love to do. You'll figure out a way to make a living at it. If I have any regret in my life, it's that I didn't listen to myself the first time I said, man, this is what I want to do. And I worked a job at a bank and I worked a retail job that I hated. Um, and I did some things I didn't like. I wish I would have jumped into both feet to the fishing world when I wanted to. Because I would have made those mistakes earlier and the payoff would have come earlier. And who knows where we'd be right now. Who knows where teaching fishing would be right now. It could be, it could be what we want it to be. So um, find your, if you're, if you're sitting here right now and you're listening and you can't fathom getting up tomorrow and going to a crappy job, don't. Don't go. Don't go. Figure out a way, because 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 here you know I I there's the I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna end with this I promise. There's a great go to YouTube and Google Tony Robbins burn your boats. 
And he tells the story of how uh, when the Greeks conquered the world and the Romans conquered the world, one of the things they would do is they would get their warriors on ships. They would paddle them across the ocean to wherever they wanted to conquer. They let all the warriors off and they burn their boats. You got two choices, figure it out or die. And I think so many people don't put themselves in a position that figure it out or die, they never figure it out. Find what you love to do, burn your boats, and figure out how to make a living doing that. And the next thing you know, in two or three years, you're living your passion, can't wait to get up every day and go to work. That's where I'm at right now.